welcome everyone. Welcome to another episode of Contact Lost, the Polish English speaking podcast about competitive Warhammer 40k. Uh, I am Tomek, or also known as Tweek, your host. Um, and today we kick off a new series, a new, um, let's call it, yeah, I think series is the best word, series of episodes. Um, because ninth edition is sort of coming to a close, many people, uh, many people that I know, uh, tell me that they are going to step away from ninth edition a little bit. Uh, some other people will keep on playing until tenth comes out. Um, but I've noticed also that in in different podcasts, uh, people are trying to look for an interesting topic to serve as filler. Um, and yeah, we came up with our own. Um, idea for that, which I called, it's not very creative, but it's called My 40k Job. So it's going to be a series where we are going to introduce some people that I'm very jealous about who managed to turn their passion, their hobby into a profession, a money-making enterprise, um, a business where we're talking about different different kinds of people, different kinds of professions. Those could be coaches, those could be artists, those could be authors, uh, those could be if there are uh, some content creators that are able to monetize stuff, then yeah, probably those people as well. Uh, I will be happy to listen to your suggestions as well as to who you would like to see uh, in the episode. So leave a comment, drop a name, and I'll do my best to actually bring those people around. Uh, but I figured that the probably the best person to kick this off with would be the gentleman that you see on the screen next to me. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this person, this face probably doesn't need too much of an introduction, but still it's my obligation, my host's obligation to introduce Innes Wilson, the captain of Team Scotland, the founder of StatCheck, and one of the coaches at StatCheck. Innes, did I miss anything? Did I you know, given technically just one of the founders of StatCheck, there's no individual, there's five of us. So calling one of us the founder is a little, I, I would feel bad taking the full credit for that because it's uh, it was very much a five-man job at the beginning. But yeah, that's a, it's a great introduction. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here again. Uh, yeah, and it's a pleasure to, to have you as well. Thank you for agreeing to do this. So yeah, uh, to set the context a little bit, Ines has uh, turned his podcast and his uh, skills and knowledge into essentially a business, uh, a coaching um, uh, company, can we call it? Like, or a coach, well, coaching services. Yeah, coaching independent I mean, contractor, technically. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. Okay, so that, that's probably the best description. So, um, yeah, let's get into the thick of it. Uh, yeah, usually, so. usually people start off, when they have a guest, they usually start off with a question like, tell us something about yourself, and so on and so on. I'll do a little twist on this and uh, I'll change the question to what are your qualifications? <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine that this is a, almost like a job interview. Oh, what are my qualifications yeah. as a coach specifically or just as a 40k player? Uh, both, both. So, so, you know, what, what, what makes you stand out on the market of coaching? Because as, as we know, as our listeners probably know, there are also other coaching services. So what makes you exceptional? What, you know, what is your offering? And then also <laughs> as a Warhammer player. Sure. Um, so I'll start off with as a player because it's the easier one. It's the one I've all, all more experience talking about. Um, I've been playing at the top level of 40k for approximately a de uh, like half a decade now, um, like excluding the two years of the pandemic, like a couple years beforehand and the couple years afterwards. 
Um, so I've been part of Team Scotland since 2018, competing at the national level. I've been part of the vice captaincy team and then the captaincy for two years now. Um, I've got a lot of experience playing 40k at the top level. I've won a couple of the UKTC Super Majors, done very well at events like LVO, LGT, um, all that kind of thing. Uh, recently won the Alpine Cup, just to put some more some more fun things out there. Uh, I've won a lot of tournaments. I think we ran the numbers on who were the most winning tournament players of like since we've been tracking on StatCheck, and I'm like tied second for most tournament wins uh, in like 25 plus player singles events. So I do I do a lot of winning. Part of that's I play in Scotland where there aren't a lot of other really amazing players, which lowers the bitterness, but I win plenty of events down south as well. So uh, I do my best. Um, on top of that, I've been part of the captaincy for Team Scotland for a while, which means I've spent a lot of time doing training and development with players, um, helping raise up my local community, um, which has been a lot of trying to take Team Scotland from being a team that was very good 2018, where we came third at WTC, and then have had a couple of years of not being very good, and now trying to build that back up. We've seen um, the player level in my community go up a lot, which has been really good for that. That kind of leans into the qualifications of coaching. Anybody who's heard me talk about 40K before on one of the three podcasts I've now had or read my Twitter ever knows that I love talking about 40k um, and me as, get, having me as a coach means getting to tap into that just genuine enjoyment for the game and the sheer amount of time I've been thinking about it means that there there's always something to talk about um, which is really helpful um, I've been described as easy to get in touch with by some of my clients which I think is a, a really nice way to put it is that uh, yeah, because I was spending, you know, 168 hours a week out of 168 on 4K and sleeping, more or less. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty easy to get in touch with me if you're just wanting to talk about something even outside the purview of a specific coaching call. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of, I spent a lot of time developing players before this, whether it was for my local company or then for Team Scotland. And being able to bring that into the coaching environment has been something that's been really rewarding. Um, even just like helping people in whether it was the, the like community discourse that I was part of before or now in the static discord where people ask for help, you're always happy to give it. It's been it's always really rewarding doing that, like helping learning teaching thing. Um, a lot of my my degree was on like um, developing relationships with managers and things like that, which I never thought I would get to use in a 40k context. But using some of that in this context has been great, um, like developing people and using like reward systems that work for them. Uh, it's been very much more helpful in like the Team Scotland sense where I have like you know, unfettered access to people and I can tell them what to do because they're not paying me. So there's a little bit of a disparity there, um, but it comes into it in a lot of ways where I really enjoy doing that sort of thing. It was always what I was looking for. Um, and it's been a genuine joy just like getting to interact with that on people. And I think that comes through in how much I enjoy doing the coaching with people. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my, that's what I do differently. Um, I am a one man show, which means that there's no, there's nothing in the way you just message me with, with like, that's it. That's all you gotta do, um, which has been, for some people really beneficial uh i have a lot of clients who've come from other um like coaching environments and have said that they prefer the more one-to-one -one approach which i i can sympathize with i understand that some people maybe want like the more content-backed versions where you know there's hours of footage and stuff like that i don't have that like please if you're going to me for coaching it's for me coaching that's i don't know that's an advantage in some ways that's I mean, I, there, there couldn't have been a better uh, advertisement, I guess. Uh, and uh, I, I remember I did message you uh, shortly after the episode of Stat Check, where you where you actually announced that you are going full time with coaching. Uh, and I wrote to you, and I, I think I, I won't repeat it word for word, but definitely I wrote something along the lines that I see the passion, the energy, the happiness in you to actually start doing that full time. And it, it really shows like, you, you know, if, if anyone 
can read a face. Your face definitely says, I'm loving what I'm, what, what yeah, I, what it's, I do. I've been doing this now. So I left, um, I started coaching the beginning of January this year, like right as we came up to sort of like the new meta with um, the update at the beginning of January with the new balance, the new um, GT pack. And I ended up leaving my job a month later after LVO because I'll be honest, I went to LVO, spent a week playing, like hanging out and talking with 40K people and was like, I can't go back to sitting in an office. I'm not doing it. So I took the jump probably a little before I should have. Um, but it was 100% my mental health has improved significantly since making that jump, which has been the nicest thing for me. Um, having a sleep schedule that works for me has been the biggest thing. Um, getting to do all the tournaments I want to do, like for on a personal level, like even outside of the professional aspect of it being rewarding, it's been so helpful like personally that I can't overstate how much I am like the luckiest person to be able to do what I'm doing. That's why what I said at the, the, at the very beginning, that I'm so jealous because <laughs> I do that office job and podcasting and Warhammer is something, you know, I do to get away from that. Uh, and what you're doing seems like a dream job for me. So that's why, you know, the jealousy will probably not go away throughout <laughs> the whole episode. Um, but tell me this. Uh, I imagine that um, making a move like that move that might be an understatement a leap like that from what i imagine a stable job with stable income uh to coaching that you know if i told my mom today <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 leaving my managerial job at a, at a corporation where you know whether you stand whether you lie down you get money regularly every month and so on and i'm going to be teaching people how to move little soldiers on tables, she would die of heart attack probably. So um, I guess it takes balls of steel to actually do that. Uh, So, you know, was it a difficult decision to make for you? So in some ways, yeah, like losing the stable income was rough. I had just come off of, um, so I graduated from university during COVID, um, where I then went, I then stayed in my 12 and a half hour a week um like retail job for uh, almost a year after that like after finishing up because there was nothing i couldn't apply for jobs uh that weren't like distance work that i wasn't really qualified for um and then i ended up getting an office job sort of like april 2022 um and that was great it was my first full, like proper full-time job since like before university um and it was great but it was and it was a minimum wage entry level job so at the end of the day making the leap from that to like functionally tripling my income on an hourly level was not that scary because the level of replacement for that wasn't super hard wasn't super hard and i'm like about there now like i think i'm making a little less than i was but um but i'm you know like i'm not spending on commuting and travel and all that sort of thing and the mental health side of it is covering up for the the lack of everything else and it's only going to continue growing hopefully um that, that's what you're hoping for in the end is that like i can eventually like i could do four i could do 50 hours a week on this and not really bat an eyelid i'm not and like i hope i don't end up doing that because that sounds like a lot of 40k um but there is all there's there's a lot more room for it like i work four day weeks right now fairly comfortably um so yeah it's I think if I had been more developed in my life and career, it might have been a bigger leap because, well, like I was, I was like I said, I was working an entry level job straight out of university rather than um, like I wasn't in a like a mid level position where I was earning you know like reasonable money. I was on pretty shit money all told. Um, so continuing to be on okay money now is fine, right? Like it's I still live at home. My parents are very agreeable with this. Thankfully, my dad knew. A lot about the 40k stuff going into it so he was very on board with it and they both thought my parents obviously saw the passion i have with it and were very happy to if i could make it work and could make the finances work happy to support me with it which has been great so far 
yeah, the, the support from from the loved ones, from the family is invaluable, I, I imagine. So, uh, so how much uh, trouble does it take to actually monetize your effort? And uh, this is like a, a you know a, a, like a big question, so I'll break it down into pieces. Uh, I never mentioned this on the podcast, but uh, I started my professional life uh, in teaching English as a second language. And uh, once I got tired of, of, you know, working for like a language school, I became an entrepreneur. I opened my own language school and translating, sorry, translation and interpretation services. Uh, And it took me, I think the hardest part of that was to get clients, to, to, to advertise, to you know, reach out and uh, especially in translation and interpretation, it was extremely difficult because you need to do a lot of voluntary work to actually get, you know, uh, recommendations and then to attract more clients, more clients, more clients. So at the beginning, it was rough because, you know, I was starting a family. I, I, I had a kid on the way. Uh, my wife didn't work. She she was still at uni. So so it was extremely, extremely difficult to kick this off. Now, how does it work for you and how does it work within the you know 40k community uh so like yeah yeah no i feel like you're coming at um so i i don't really know if i'm like what what stage of development for that jet coaching i'm in right now because like this could still be the early expansion where we're at the tail end of ninth edition and people are holding off for 10th and things like that and it could pick up significantly in a couple months or this could be you know i'm a couple of clients short of roughly what maintenance level is for me and either of those will be fine like there'll be a thing to adapt with if it ends up being like roughly maintenance level i'll probably look into some more content creation options down the line to try and you know boost it a little bit try and advertise a little more try and grow it still from there what i have the advantage of is i'm kind of like barnacled onto the stat check network where there's so much content coming out that it's very easy to drive eyeballs towards myself so mm-hmm. a lot of what i do is like i don't do any advertising outside of just mentioning it on the show really or you know things like this which are obviously super helpful in terms of both getting like the name and the story and also trying to come across with some enthusiasm about what i'm doing to people um so it's a lot of outreach and a lot of like internal stuff i don't do like i'm not like posting on competitive 40k facebook like hey you should come and check out my coaching like there's a tagline in an art if i post an article there'll be a tagline at the bottom um, but a lot of it just grows out of the things I was doing anyway, the, the natural, it's sort of like a natural combination of what I was doing within the 40 community anyway, which is creating content, writing articles, going on shows, um, interacting with people, right? It's a lot of word of mouth in the same way that it will be for any industry where you're working for yourself. Um, so yeah, it's still growing. Like I still pick up one-offs, like one-off coaching sessions and clients at a fairly regular clip, like a couple, like one or two people every couple of weeks which is fine, right? Like that's the way that you're looking at growing because it's also getting overwhelmed. It lets keeps the scheduling easy. That's the nicest thing about having a small number of clients is the scheduling is a lot easier. It's like, okay, so I just book in three calls a night and then we're good. Um, and then like you fit in like the TTS sessions and things like that around it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of just word of mouth and like trading on reputation at this point because I don't want to I never want to end up being like one of the sleazy marketing things. Like it just doesn't appeal to me. Just it doesn't doesn't fit with the brand that I want to have for myself where I don't want to be the guy that's like, you know, spamming the competitive 40k Facebook and subreddit and all that being like, hey, you should come check out my coaching because I'm awesome and this is why. Um, if people ask me, I'm happy to tell them I'm awesome, but I don't want to be telling people I'm awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't it doesn't sit right with me, which, you know, if it works for you, if that's the way you want to advertise things, great, but I, I can't do it. It just doesn't work. Um, I, I struggle with even like doing the plugs on my own show and just being like, hey, you should like, watch us again i don't like doing that but i do it anyway because somebody's got to do it um but no it just 
I try not to I try to come across as genuine as possible. Try not to be rude or disingenuous with these things, and you know it works to some extent. It, yeah, it's 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 working definitely. All right, so uh, let's get into um, how when you start a business like this, uh, I imagine that you need to. I mean, you can you know be happy go lucky and just say, hey, I offer coaching. But then again, it probably makes sense to somehow give structure to it. So do you offer your trainings, coaching in any form of, I don't know, packages or is it very tailor made to the user? Do you do you play like a test game with your trainee to find out what mistakes he makes? What's, what's the process? So the process in, in some senses differs for every person, right? Um, there's, I, I don't do like an all, all in one package, right? Like that's not really something that appeals to me because the people that I get for coaching are across all different levels of competitive play that I just don't think ever being like, hey, the things that would work for somebody who is, you know, uh, a three and two player who's looking to try and push to four and one or a player who's, you know, trying to win their first ever tournament game just aren't the same. And I don't think it's ever, I don't think with the level of personalization that I try to come across, it would never be right to try and tailor a package like that to just be like, hey, this is the things I do. So I have like, baseline introductory things that we will talk about and I have structures that I use so like to use some examples I'll usually um I, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago, about a month or two ago that was about like general traits of like what makes you a good competitive player and I'll usually uh, run the matrix, yeah the matrix yeah. so that's kind of like an, an introductory tool I use sometimes where like if a client's not sure where they stand we'll go through and we'll be like hey let's figure out what you're good at let's figure out what you're bad at and then we'll try and work on those um, if they are a client who, who's going for TTS games, then yeah, maybe we play a game in the early to try and get a sense of what their strengths and weaknesses are. But it's a lot of what you put in is what you'll get out. So I try to get them to come to me with um, like game tapes or like examples of games they've played where they can talk about you know why they lost, why they won. Um, and then a lot of it is going through like game feedback. So also I spend a lot of time with clients being like, okay, what I want you to do is try and document your games in some sense. So I usually try to work on a schedule of roughly like in the time it takes you to play three games, we'll do a coaching, three or four practice games is when we'll do a coaching session. So like if that ends up being like bi-weekly or weekly, depending on what people are looking for um, or like in the lead up to tournaments. So like that's like the, the baseline is what I generally try to recommend for people because you don't want to be doing a coaching session after you play one game because there's just not a lot to feedback on. Um, so I usually try to use it more like iterative, iteratively developing based on gameplay. So using... Like, it's all very well and good to sit with somebody and be like, hey, um, this is what I think you should do to get better. But I find it's a lot more useful to have them go through games and then find examples of what they're doing wrong and, like, try to understand the reasons behind their mistakes or behind the decisions they're making and try to, like, adjust them or fix them, depending on the context. Um, and then there's a lot of, like, tournament prep. So, like, people who want to spend, spend a session going through a list or going through, like, the lists for a tournament and talking through what they should do to this matchup and secondary plans. So it's all super, like very hands-off individualized like there's never any overarching um i would say i'd never have a plan for the session after the next one um unless this client specifically wants that um so no there, there's no real i would almost say it is like that happy-go-lucky super gung-ho approach um which has been working so far nobody's complained yet which is you know the well, the main thing you're looking for mm -hmm. um I, I would give a couple of examples so like i have one client where what we do is mostly we talk about um, like the general like thing he's playing, anything he struggled with this week and what he's doing next week. And we do that every fortnight. Um, or I have another client who will just, you know, he's, he plays roughly a tournament a month. We'll talk 
a game, a, a, one before the tournament to prepare for it, and one afterwards to review it. And that's all. That's all it is, right? And there's, and then some people who just want, you know, a different thing every week. So, no, there's no, there's no restructure to it, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, um, but it certainly keeps me on my toes. Let's go with that because mm-hmm. you're always, always a little bit unsure exactly what you're going to be speaking about in a session because a lot of it is dealing with whatever the client brings to the table on that session, like. Um, because a lot of them will come to you with like a thing that was on their mind and they just want to talk about that and there's not like if you if at the end of the day i'm providing a service they're paying me for it i'm not going to go into it and be like hey i don't really care what you want to talk about this is what my script says we're going to talk about that so i i almost just don't bring it because i very rarely don't have a client that brings something mm-hmm. okay so uh, you know i cannot escape from like comparing your teaching with the kind of teaching I, I do because I still teach like English privately. Uh, but when you teach English, you know, you have this sort of like a syllabus. So so like a a set of, of, of skills that you need to cover that you need to teach a person for them to be, for example, you know, uh, a skillful language user or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And you, sometimes you need to approach stuff holistically. Sometimes when I teach like business clients, like directors of companies and we have private lessons, one to ones, uh sometimes uh they bring a topic that they want to talk about sometimes they just come and you know hit me with whatever you have and then do, do you have like a list of potential topics that yeah you sure so like the, the hit me with whatever you have thing is like okay let's talk um so there's sort of like a, a general hierarchy of like things that you could talk about which yeah because because there's no like I'm not dealing with like a class of students, right? Where I'm trying to get them all from point A to point B. Everybody's got their own starting point and their own like goal destination. So it's hard to have like a syllabus in the same sense, right? Like it's not like I'm having a, a 30 person intake of two and three players and try to chunk them all out as three and two players, right? Um, if I had that, maybe a syllabus would be slightly more useful. Um, so yeah, it's a lot more on the individual. So it kind of ends up being like, for the, for the starting sessions, it'll be stuff like, hey, let's go through like the last five losses you covered and we'll talk about what the major contributing factors were. And we'll talk about why you lost. And then as we get on, we'll maybe be like, hey, remember like the last three losses you've had over the past two months because you don't lose games anymore? Um, what were like, let's go through and let's talk common factors. And we try to drive down into individual games and, you know, find weak points and discuss ways to improve those. And that can take a far, but that can take four minutes on its own, driving into like the real reasons behind a couple of losses and what like, like not just like the general sense of it. So like, not to use names, but like I have a client who's really struggling with um, like just getting shot to death in a couple of matchups, but wins almost every other game. And it's like, okay, so how do we actually start mitigating that for you? Like, what do we actually like? What's the actual problem at the core of that? Um, and it's been a really interesting exploration of like what is his actual struggle with that kind of list and why he doesn't find the paths to actually win those games. Um, and not, I'm not going to like go into the specific details of it because it's not fair on the guy, but um, it's been a really interesting exploration that we did for like the last half hour of our last session. Um, some people that will just be like, hey, let's stop and let's talk about why you're still playing this faction when you're not having any success with it. And let's like, do you need to move armies, right? Um, yeah, again, it's all kind of, it's all just kind of aiming on drilling into what's going wrong for you in your 40k right now. Um, and let's take an approach of it but it's all every every kind of one of the the generalized topics is going to be focused like that it's just how its focus will always vary because it'll be hey what are you struggling with or hey you're winning all your games right now why are you not getting better practice in um or how can we get you better practice and 
so it again it's all super personalized right there's never there's never a one size fits all so like yeah there's a general hierarchy of we're going to start going through uh, and if we run out of stuff to talk about on that and you're like you don't come anything with next week we'll talk about a matchup you're struggling with or we'll do some game theory stuff where we'll talk about um ways to approach things or we'll open we'll, we'll tts and we'll go through your deployments right um so there's always like another thing to do tts is a really good one for just getting some stuff on the table and being like hey let's talk through some options here how would you approach um or like if we played a session recently we can whip up a session and go through some examples pull up some safe states all that kind of thing um but it's very like i said it's all super individualized there's not really yeah it, it's all it, it's all really hard to, to nail down a specific of like yeah, if my if my client came to me and was, if it was like a brand new client and was like, "Hey, I have uh, no idea what to talk about. I just want coaching." I would start with like, "Okay, what are, what are you struggling with? What are the things that are actually causing you to lose?" And then you go down like three rabbit holes on that. That that's all that really is, mm-hmm. um, because there will always be the goal with all that stuff is always to just get them to ask a question at some point that you can then go off of because they'll eventually latch onto something that they that ident- that they identify with as being a thing that they're actually interested in and then that's what you end up talking about for the session more than the starter questions end up being mm-hmm. so uh, a question that popped into my head when um of course i listened to, to to your podcast as well and uh re- at this beginning of the year i i decided that i'm going to start collecting and uh playing death guard for example now if I listen to your podcast, uh, generally what I'll hear, hear about Death Guard is that it's a very old book that needs a revamp. That you know, it's probably if someone wants to have competitive, like play competitively, they shouldn't take that army to a, a tournament. But then you get a trainee who comes to you and says, "I love my Death Guard. I, I'm not going to play anything else. Let's focus on Death Guard." So. Uh, what will your advice to that person be? Like, do you do you focus on the fundamentals to improve? You know, to bring them as high as possible with that army or is there is it you know a trap that at some point you will have to tell him dude uh you know you won't progress any further if you don't change an army so so under no circumstances are you ever going to tell somebody who's come to you with a problem that you can't fix the problem right like of course sure i'm not gonna be able to make you like a consistent supermajor winner with death guard but i can we can get better with them right like there's there's no there's no ceiling on better um I suppose in that situation, the first thing you're going to start with is managing expectations, right? Like, I'm not going to lie to a client and I'm going to be like, yeah, dude, we're going to have you winning super majors with Death Guard. And you're like, all right, what level are you at now? What level are you aspiring to? Can you get there with Death Guard? Let's be honest about that, right? And if the goal is to go 4-1 at most of the events you go to, you can do that with Death Guard. Like, they're not that bad. Nothing is, nothing in 40 is that bad that there aren't some people doing well with it. It's just about how do we make you one of those people? Um, so then you start going into explorations of like, okay, if you're going to play Death Guard, you're either going to have to become a hyper expert on one list and play it to perfection, or you're going to have to be really on top of the meta. Those are the kind of like the two aspects that you can do with, um, like being a faction specialist is you can either play one list to perfection, um, and you'll just see that person will never change the list and they'll play the same thing. They'll make minor tweaks to it constantly, or you've got to be doing like exactly what's right for right now. And that'll change every week, right? Um, so we'll spend some time focusing on which of those they think is better for them. And we'll either drill into like getting a perfect list and building plans for matchups. Because one advantage you have when you're playing a faction like that is you walk into any game, you know what your opponent's list does more than they know what yours does. Even for an army like Death Guard that's been out for you know going on three years, people will underestimate that list. People will give it respect, a lack of respect. There are still Death Guard players going for one out there. You can be one of them. So you, you got to make, make yourself the player 
that knows what you're doing, which means you've got to understand all of your opponent's lists. So we're going to be doing matchup theory. We're going to be doing secondary plans. We're going to be going through deployments, right? Or we go for the other side of the matchup theory, which is like, what's hot right now? What's in that book that we can use to break parity? And we'll go down a slightly different route. But those are both completely viable options. Now, am I going to get you beating me or John Lennon or Manny Chima doing that? Probably not. No offense. Um, like, we know what Death Guard does on a level enough that even if you're throwing some weird shit out there, there there's play there. But can I give you a chance against the people that you're playing with at your local DTs? Absolutely, with anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, okay, sorry. If you want to play Model Agents of the Imperium, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Uh, but like, you come to me with like a major faction. There's there's play there for a sixty percent win rate as a person, hundred percent. Okay. So um, one thing that that I used to struggle with now with the advent of TTS and, and all that jazz, uh, my frequency of playing my reps have greatly increased but you will still get people who are you know fathers uh of a kid or more than one kid uh people who just don't have enough time to play the game to the extent that you play or even to the extent that i play um and they sign up for your coaching um again what can coaching replace reps so I don't want to say coaching can never replace reps because it really can't. But what coaching can do is it can make the time you spend on a rep twice as valuable, right? Like you're probably, you're still going to get like more out of playing because reps always have a kind of like that initial exponential value than real diminishing returns. Like the first 10 reps in an army are invaluable. The second 10 are like, okay, the, the like the 100 to 110th reps are like, okay, man, you're getting real diminishing returns here. What the coaching could do is it can give you like some of that diminishing returns earlier where we can go through you play one game and you go to be with the coach if we spend 30 minutes reviewing it as long as it was a reasonably competitive game there's going to be five to ten decision points in that game that you have made that you have reasonable questions about that we can discuss and we can be like hey i think you should have done this differently i think your deployment should have been different here and you can short you can shortcut a lot of the evaluation process which is a lot of what people who are newer or less experienced with the game struggle with right like they don't struggle with playing games of 40k um because it's pretty easy like all told playing a game of 40k isn't that difficult right the rules are not super complicated to that sense it's the decision making and then reviewing it honestly and reviewing it with the intent to learn so if you play three games and don't learn a thing from them one game with with like a coaching session review will probably give you more because you'll actually think about them now if you're doing that review process on your own and you're struggling with it coaching will probably do a lot better um, but at the end of the day, if you're playing, you know, if you're playing two games a week and you come for coaching to add in the extra because you can't fit in a third game, you're going to get a lot more than trying to fit in a third game you can't play. Um, but yeah, it's never going to directly one-to-one replace games, right? At the end of the day, the only way you're ever going to get better at actually playing 40k is by playing 40k. Um, but you can always make the next game better, right? You can keep that value of playing those games going for longer by coherently and properly reviewing them and that's a lot of what coaching does um even for some of the clients that don't really want to go into the game reviews a lot of them find that just the act of having a coach means that they think about their games more because well now you're you don't want to waste you don't want to waste your time you're now thinking about it in a different way um and obviously i've got to say this right like i am a coach i'm very invested in people wanting coaching um so if you find that you're not getting value out of reviewing your games um, because, or you find you can review your games just now, then yeah, you probably don't need coaching. Um, 
if you're playing five games a week and you're happy to discuss them and you've got a good group to play with and you have no issues looking at your games, reviewing your games, you've got a Discord you can chuck them up in, yeah, you probably don't need coaching that. You really don't. Um, you're not going to get much out of it. But if you don't have that, it's about replicating the resources that everybody should have, but not everybody does have access to. That's what coaching is best for. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> and when you, when somebody comes to you and uh, you, yeah, you, you make an agreement that, that you're going to go into coaching with that person, um, how do you go about planning the trainings? So the frequency, but also like the, the the length, I mean, in, you know, weeks, months, and so on. Is it, again, on individual basis, or do you assume that we're going to meet, I don't know, uh, for a month, and then you'll see if you like it, and then we will decide whether we want to want to so, it? Or do you have a package that says a quarter is a minimum? <laughs> I'm actually uh, going to be honest. I am super chill with this. I have clients that run on a, I message you every two weeks if you want a session, we take a session. If you don't want one, we don't take a session. Um, there is no, like, I don't run minimum lengths. Uh, if you book in, I think I have, uh, if you book in four coaching sessions at once, you get a, like a 10% discount or something like that. Um, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, I really don't, like, you're not locked into anything. I don't really think it's valuable to lock people into something. Um I'm more than happy to just like every Sunday I go through, I book my schedule for the next week, which is I'll send everybody who's due a session that week a message and we'll schedule something. Um, so I have a bunch of people who are on one weekly, a bunch of people who are on two weekly, and a few people who are on like one a month and a TTS game when we can fit it in or when I find it relevant. Um, so a bit of it's reach out to me when you want a TTS game, if you're on a TTS game, otherwise I'll message you on your schedule week. But it's never, it's all based on what that person wants, mm-hmm. right? Like some people will come to me and they'll be like, hey, I don't really know what I'm looking for and we'll talk about it and we'll generally go with like, I'll go I'll, I'll go try to go with that schedule of like, what's the rate you roughly play three games? Then we'll try to go with that if that if you're not sure, right? So if you're playing three or four games a week, you're probably going to get something out of a weekly call. If you're getting, you know, two games, if you're getting a game a week, you probably don't need a weekly call, right? You're not going to get that much out of it. Um, so let's do... A two weekly and then if you have a tournament we can always add in an extra session right you're never locked into anything um so there's it's not a lot of stability on my end but i can live with that to give my to give the clients as much flexibility as they want because at the end of the day if they're having a better experience they're more likely to stick around which is what i'm really looking for um i don't need like four sessions out of you month one i'd rather have eight sessions out of you in two mm-hmm. in in a year right um because it's better for both of us yeah absolutely makes sense so the next one is going to be probably a little bit long-winded so let's see if i manage to get to the point of the question um it's two things interconnected Uh, first of all like the uh let's call it the nationality of your of your clients so uh does the majority of your clients come from the uk or scotland or england or do you have people from overseas as well so that's first question and second question that is probably connected to it Uh, uh different regions different continents play different rule sets. I mean, the game more or less plays the same, you know, Arcs of Omen, same missions and so on. But then we have WTC terrain, we have um, uh, player place terrain, we have UKTC terrain, we have uh, the German style terrain, which is like almost WTC, but again, different. Uh, Are you comfortable with teaching all of them? Or are there some that you are not too familiar with, for example? So to, to do the first one, um, my client base is super multinational. Um, I think the country I technically have the most representation from is Sweden, hmm. maybe. For like recurring clients, I think Sweden is the one I have the most from, like tied with Canada. 
Um, so it's fairly, I have like a guy in Korea, I have a few, a few English people, a few American people, a few Canadians, um, like a, a bunch of people from continental Europe, like it's fairly spread out. Um, I would say that there's not like any specific set of people that I working with more or less than others. Um, well, one thing I do think I have an advantage of is that uh, I get a lot more of the, like the, the European international ones, which has been super cool because there's not a lot of people that are really reaching out to that market. And I have a little more representation there, especially with working with Typhus as the other coach on the network, um, which has been super cool. Um, but I don't think it's ever like, it's never really closed off to anything. Like if you reach out, like we'll work with it. Um, on the like regionality of coaching, a lot of it is just making sure people are open about what they're playing on. Um, so if you're a person who's playing on player place terrain or a person who's playing on Canadian player place terrain, those are different things, right? So as part of like the statistics stuff I was already doing, I keep a general tab on what's going on in the game in general. Um, I play in a whole variety of tournaments indiv individually. So I played on like Alpine terrain, I played on UKC terrain, I played on WC terrain. I played on LVO player placed. Like I have a lot of experience just to draw on. And also I grew up in like the fifth edition terrain mines where you know you played on like a Fortress of Redemption and two Grayers, and you called that great terrain because your gaunt's got a six up save against Flash Cannons on it. Um so you know there's always there's always a degree of like how back in like I've played on I've played on enough terrain to be able to divert to divorce my personal personal feelings about it from how I can help you with it. Um I also find people generally overblow how much terrain matters to the top end of the game. Like it tweaks things, it never changes things. Um, sure, if you're playing on like the Nargomania terrain or the Breaking Heads terrain, I'll maybe recommend you like you play a slightly different list, right? Or we'll, you know, maybe you need a little more alpha protection because it's a little more open on the sides than it is on WTC. But that's that's a person to person thing, and it's a tournament to tournament thing. Um, if you're playing on player placed, you probably get away with you don't you don't need a Sanctus in your GC list because you'll always have a safe home objective. Whereas if you're playing on WC, maybe you don't get that, so maybe you want it, right? That's the kind of that you're talking tweaks, you're not talking changes. Um, so it's the game's a lot more universal than people like to believe it is. Um, terrain matters, it matters a lot, but it never it matters for games, not for metas. Really, is what I'm getting at. Um, on the on the individual player level, right? Like if I'm coaching somebody who's trying to go to WTC, we're going to focus a lot on WC terrain, uh, and it will affect a lot. But if you're you know trying to go three and two on player place terrain, and you're trying to go three and two on WTC terrain. There's not that much difference. There really isn't, uh, and I think people overblow that. Okay, that's interesting. So uh, let's assume that you know, for the sake of uh, of of helping you advertise your uh, <laughs> your business, imagine that Thomas Data comes to you today and says, "Dude, um, I would like to be coached by you." Where would we start? What would we do? What would our cooperation look like? Cool. So our first session is going to be, we're going to talk generally about you as a 40k player. We're going to try and get a general sense for where you are like right now. So we'll either do, we'll either talk through, it, it kind of depends on what you respond best to and like, like, like sort of like the first couple of minutes of questions. Are you interested in going through some of your recent games and talking through like what what your usual win conditions look like, what your usual loss conditions look like? Do you, would you rather talk about how you generally do at tournaments? Um, and we talk through like, how does your performance look like? Uh, where are you trying to get it to be, right? And then we'll go through kind of like some of those things, and then we'll maybe go off into the matrix, into like my the the matrix from the article, and we'll go through like, are you better? Like, how do you find you're doing it micro versus macro versus game knowledge? And we'll try and find weaknesses that way, or we'll go through the games you played, and we'll try and identify weaknesses that way. And then whatever way we identify your strengths and weaknesses, we'll then 
let's move that into talking a little bit about general stuff. If you came for like a, a session about an army, we'll maybe talk about like if you came to me and were like, hey, I'm a Death Guard player and I'm looking to get better at Death Guard, we'll maybe talk a bit about your Death Guard list and you know what you're finding with the moment, what you're finding you're struggling with, what you're finding is really working for you, and we'll maybe talk a bit about that. And you're gonna kind of break that into like 15 minutes of talking about you generally, 20 to 30 minutes of talking very specifically about the things that have come up from that conversation, which is you know, it's always going to be, it's going to be different from person to person. You might, I might find that you respond really well to going through, like, what has been the thing that's been blocking you from going, you know, five and all tournaments, right? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it's the fact that you always happen to pair into Mikhail Duda in round five. Uh, you know, like, there's always a possibility, right? Um, so you end up going through these things and trying to find the thing that works as a, like, a cornerstone of the conversation. Then in the last sort of, like, five minutes or so, we'll kind of, like, work look at some next steps and things that you should maybe focus on for next week we'll run through like the i want to say like the battle report um thing that i talk about so i um with all my clients i run through a general sort of way i like you to report games um which is basically just dump it in discord with like a picture of your deployment your turn one your turn two the end game state and any interesting decision points throughout along with the score sheet just and then just do a little write-up of what you did well what you did what you did poorly and what you do differently if you were to play this game again just to get people into that mind space of considering their games. And even if we don't end up talking about it that much, um, it's always there as a thing. We can always touch on it if it ends up being like, we run out of things to talk about four minutes to a session, we can talk about your last game. Um, and that just gets people into that headspace. So we talk about like the structure of that, and maybe give them an example, like show, like show them a, uh, an example of one I've done, um, just to you know get people thinking and get that creative, like creative design process of making themselves better for a case started. And then at the end of the session, that's when we talk about like, what do you actually want out of coaching in terms of schedule? How often we do a call? Like that's all like, I almost always do, hey, let's just do a session at the start and we'll talk about it and we'll see how you enjoy this. And then if you want to do it, we'll talk about it at the end of that. Like in the, like after the session, two, five minutes, and we'll talk about, hey, what kind of schedule are you looking at play, uh, doing this on? Are you looking at getting TTS games in on this? Like all that kind of thing. Um, and that that's like the end of the session. Like I never really, I don't like to front load that because it feels super crappy to be like, hey, you have no idea what this product is. Here's how much you should definitely go for it. Um, so that that's usually like the, the process for the first one. Um, if you've come to me with like a specific question or you're like, hey, I'm looking at coaching for a tournament, um, but I'm also looking at getting long-term coaching, that it can vary quite a lot for introductory sessions for some people. Like some people just come to me and like, hey, I'm looking for GSC coaching. I've got like 15 questions. Can we talk through these on session one? And then at the end of that session, we'll do a little bit of that. And then we'll talk about some of the stuff I said at the beginning here. We'll maybe look at in session two or session three, depending on how the schedule progresses. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I said, it's never it's never one-to-one, -one, but that's, that's where you start, right? Like it's always about finding the root cause of what you think this person's issues or what this person thinks their issues are. And then over time, we'll try and fix some of them and find out if there's any other issues that they've not identified themselves yet. That's kind of what you're looking at for the, the process. Okay. So <clears throat> the next question that I have is, uh, I guess, the, the question that many people are waiting for. So the pricing for your services is on the website. We don't have to go into this, uh, but uh, perhaps you could explain how did you arrive at those stakes? And is this some, like, no, uh, again, uh, I, I'm not asking uh, you to, to say whether there was a, a high, low, or whatever, but when you put them on the website, yeah. did you somehow research what your competition does? Is of course that... I did. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest about it. I looked at what the market rate was 
took off whatever percent they were taking, like those networks were taking as a cut, and undercut it. Because of oh, course you're I did. spoiling the market. <laughs> of course I did. I looked at what places like Art of War, Vanguard Tactics, and last time we were coaching, mm-hmm. looked at what they were charged because those, all of those, everywhere that you coach through a network charges an overhead, right? And I know what some of those overheads are. I don't know what all of them are. I know that my network is 10%, right? So I pay 10% of what I make to StatCheck plus any processing fees. And that comes out off the top to pay for the servicing, the hosting costs, the marketing, using the invoicing, right? Um, some charge more, some charge less. So what I did was I looked at a bunch of people's prices and went, okay, if I assume that you're about market rate on what your cut is, what's a little less than that? And then I just charge that because I'm not providing a bunch of the added value, right? At the end of the day, you don't get the War Room or the Vanguard Tactics videos when you sign up with NS Wilson. You get me and you get sessions with me. And sure, there are advantages to that, but what there isn't is 400 hours of content behind a paywall that you get access to. Um, So I felt like charging a little bit less than market rate was fairly reasonable there. Um, Has it helped much? I don't know. Nobody, I feel like when you're at the point where you're reaching out for 40K coaching, you're probably not looking at the price that much. Um, But it's nice to not be, it's nice to feel like it's a reasonable option. Um, it's the same price as like, you know, a tournament ticket, right? Uh, for an hour of coaching, which I don't think is unreasonable. Um, it's an hour of my time. It's an hour of, so yeah, it works out to be a roughly, roughly 30 pound an hour I make of coaching, um, which is, I don't think too bad. Uh, it's fairly high skill work. It requires a lot of effort for me. I have to do a lot of upkeep. I do a lot of work outside the coaching calls for clients as well. But, you know, I can see why some people might be offered by the price. It is not a cheap thing to do, right? It's definitely a thing that you do if you have more time than money uh, or more money than time when it comes to 40K. Yeah, if, you've got, if you've got the time to play five games of 40K and you can afford to, like, go to a tournament every every week and like that and you want to add coaching on top of that, it's not going to be, it's not a break the back expense. Mm-hmm. If you're playing one game and, you know, you're playing one game but you've got time to do more but you don't travel for more, you should probably just put more games in before you start looking at coaching, right? This is the thing you do if you've got, you know, you can fit an hour every an hour and every fortnight to make the games you are playing better, but you can't play three more games. That that's kind of where I try to set it. Um, Sounds does it work? Reasonable. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I, uh, it's not. I'm not charging like 100 pounds an hour. That just seems excessive. I know there are people. So I I, uh, I came from League of Legends as the um, like the competitive game I had before this. Some of the coaching rates in that are very cheap. Some of them are very expensive. I remember uh, I saw a tweet from uh, some people who were like um, head coaches for like uh, the professional teams, and it's like forty five hundred forty five five hundred dollars for an hour of coaching. And it's like, yeah, I get it. We're not there. Um, but yeah, that's in all honesty, I, I tried to be slightly less than market rate. Um, because I'm newer on the scene and I wanted to make an impact and I didn't want to have no clients to begin with. Because that's the worst thing you could have is that everybody looks at you and goes, eh, I could pay the same money for for our war. Why would I try the new guy? Um, that's what I which, said with, the, with, you know, with translation and interpretation that you do a lot of voluntary work at the beginning just to attract clients. I, I, I yeah, completely get where you're coming from. And I didn't want to like, like there there is one thing that uh, probably doesn't get brought up on is I get a lot of messages about 40K even outside of the coaching thing. It's died down a bit now that I've started the coaching because people are like, oh, well, he does the coaching, maybe you should message him. Um, but I spent a lot of time just like answering people's questions. And you still get them. Like after you win a tournament, people are still like, hey, could we like, could I bounce a couple of ideas off you about your list? And you're like, you're usually fairly happy to reciprocate. Um, it's just drawing the line of where that becomes, hey, if you really want to go on to this, you can pay me money to talk about me for this for as much as you like. Um, 
but I've, I spent a lot of time doing that and I think a lot of people had a lot of faith in me coming from that because they had seen me doing that and I still do that on the show all the time right uh you ask me a question in that chat and I'll do my best to answer it regardless of whether it should be a question you're asking me in a coaching session or not okay uh, so every teacher and every coach uh, needs to be assessed in a way as well like whether they are doing a good job how do you know that you are doing a good job do you do you, I you know probably do you don't or, mm -hmm. yeah so i've had some people give some people have given feedback and it's always super appreciated um i had one client recently who had used me and r of war and came to a very positive review comparing me to like just how easy it was to use and like that's great and all um i don't imagine that everybody's having a 10 out of 10 experience there are probably people who are having i'm hoping that nobody's having a bad experience but there are probably people who are like you know I could be doing better with some people um and i'm always working on that and i'm always trying to come up with different ways to approach things uh i recently started always doing it in the office instead of sometimes doing it in my room because uh, i have a laptop set in my bedroom and i have the computer in the office and i've very like i did the first couple of months i was very lazy but sometimes just doing it in my room uh, i'm not gonna lie and say i haven't done at least one session from my bed um really sorry to that one person i'm not telling you who it was i hope no one ever notices um but i very much have transitioned to if I'm doing a coaching session and there's nobody else using this computer, I do it in the room. I have notebook, I take notes, and I try to be a lot more. I've worked on upping the active engagement with it um, because I find that I coach better when I'm a lot more engaged, when I can have TTS over the computer to like demonstrate ideas and all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's always a it's always a work in progress. A lot of it is at the end of the day though, just me assessing it for myself. Um, I don't think I've done a bad job with anybody, but of course I don't think I've done a bad job with anybody. It's my, it's me me doing the service. There are some sessions I come out of where I'm like, I wish we talked about something else, um, but a lot of the time that's not not always possible, right? Because the client has the the client at the end of the day has the say of what you're talking about. Um, sometimes I'm like, hey, I feel like we could have we could have had a more useful session if we had diverted onto one of those other topics. But at the end of the day, if you're giving the clients what they want, that's you know the best you can do. Mm -hmm. hey, if somebody if somebody wants to pay some money to come and peer review me, I, I don't mind. It's like I'm okay. I'm open to the idea. <laughs> uh, but uh, tell me this. So, um, and again, it's going to be probably two questions in one. But um, my imagination suggests that, uh, well, your personal performance at tournaments is also your best advertisement. Uh, it probably applies also to your trainees. Or the people that you coach. Uh, so, have your trainees been successful? Have you seen any of, or have you heard from them? Maybe that you know that they actually have made progress. That they went from three and two to four and one, or, or something like that. Is that a common thing so, that you observe, or it's too early to say? I honestly don't have a great answer for that. There were definitely some clients that I have been working with for longer who have been doing better at tournaments. But a lot of the people that I caught, I picked up early that were doing tournaments are people who like switched armies a lot and were like trying to work on skills rather than working on tournament placement. So there are definitely some people who have gone to tournaments and found results. A lot of people I get are people who came were like, hey, I'm going to a tournament. A lot of the one-off sessions I get are tournament based people. Most of the recurring clients aren't like super focused on specifically tournaments. Um, they're focused on like development and process. And I've only been working with them a few months. It would be great to be like, you know, I did two coaching sessions and um, fantastic. The guy is now, you know, winning GTs. Um, I don't have that. I'm not going to lie and say that that's not that's something that um, 
but I always, you know, try to keep it active and try to find what my, my players are doing in tournaments. None of them have been disappointed with their performance. Um, actually, that none of them have been disappointed with my coaching as it relates to their performance. There have definitely been people who have been disappointed with their performance, but I go three into a tournament sometimes, right? Um, everybody will perform under the level they think they are occasionally. And none of my clients are like, you know, 15 tournament a year people where you can see that progression. Um, so it's hard to say, like, it, it'd be really cool. Like if I had, like, um, I know you sometimes see like Vanguard and uh, Glasshammer and that posting up like one of their clients going five in a tournament, that's super cool. Um, it's just not something that super matters, I suppose. Like, it's more about how the client feels they're doing than how the coaching does. Because what I don't do, I don't advertise who are being, who I'm coaching, right? That like, That's not a thing. Um, so there's no, like no, there's no visibility on it, right? Which is a good thing, is a bad thing. Um, it means that nobody's looking over the shoulder of my clients and being like, oh, that's an innocent client and he ended up going, you know, he ended up being really bad at that tournament because it's not a thing that anybody can know, um, which is nice for the clients. Like it takes, like there's no pressure on them um, besides what they're applying to themselves. Um, it also means that I'm not getting like the rewards of if one of my clients does really well, but I don't need that. Like that's not something that I'm, mm-hmm. I don't need to show off my clients. Like my clients are coming to me for, coming to me for a, a skill set that I have and I'm happy to allow them to use it without having to be paraded about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, switching the, 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 the nature of the questions a little bit. I don't know if you want to share this. I don't know if you can, uh, but have you observed any like trends or any typical pitfalls that your clients fall into that you or bad habits that they are in or have fallen into that you need to get them out of what what would like you know the top three be if <laughs> so if i was going with like a general sense and i couldn't point to any specific clients who are like bad for this or who were struggling with this but the first thing is taking a considered approach to your games um and what i really mean with that is things like looking at the score sheet before the game when you both pick secondaries or even before you pick secondaries and thinking what you're going to score this game and what your opponent's likely to pick and how the secondaries you'll pick interact with that, right? It's a lot about how will the decisions you make affect the way the game plays, right? Because no game is ever set in stone. It's always based on the decisions and you will create direction to it by the decisions you make. Um, And trying to get players, one of the big things has been getting people to think about the game in terms of an an active versus a passive player and who gets to be who gets to be the passive player, right? And that mostly just means like the person who will win if nothing changes. Um, and then getting them to recognize when they're in that role and when they don't have to be the one that's making big plays or when they do have to be the one making big plays. Because a lot of the thing you see for lower level players is they will just show up to a game, not realize they have an advantage, throw it away and get beaten. Or realize they have an advantage and press anyway and not need to and it backfires right that's a lot of the way you see people who are inexperienced with this way of thinking about the game starting playing games um so just getting people to take a step back and think hey do i have to make aggressive plays here do i have to take risks and try to get people to step back then a lot of it is down to, and then the next one is like getting people to come up with reasonable fallback plans and helping them with ways to come up with them um getting people to you know go through like what actually happens if you fail here right because it's, you know, everybody has that say where like they, they failed they failed the three inch charge on snake eyes, commander rolled into snake eyes and lost the game because of it, right? Um, and yeah, it's really easy to blame the game on that loss because you know that's a really unlucky. It's a one in thirteen hundred. It happened to be on stream once. Um, mm. um, but 
did you have to be in that situation, right? Like, what was what was your plan B if it failed? Um, and get you. Did you have a plan B? <laughs> Uh, no, that that was my that was my plan B, unfortunately, because I'd failed the four inch charge the turn before, and then I had a backup, and that failed as well, and that was what lost me the super major, and I'm or the major, and I'm like, I'm okay with that at some level, like fine, um, but you know, uh, that that's a fun story. I, I, I'm sure I can tell sometime, but it mostly came down to failing six nine inch rollable charges, um, and then failing a six a six inch rollable charge, then a five inch rollable charge the next turn, and if like I had hit about. A couple more, like it would have been great. Um, that was against Mike Porter on the finals of Northeast Open in 2019, 2020. Uh, it was real painful. Um, <laughs> really sucked. Ah. It was also my fifth ever game with that Granite Codex. I did not know what I was doing, and I was still in the finals. So that tells you anything about how good Paladins were. Um, but yeah, that, those are kind of like the two that are really like noticeable. Is people who don't recognize how their choices are affecting game state and when they can be passive, when they have to be active. Um, and doing things like counting score, right? Like, look at the score sheet on turn four and figure out if you're winning or losing this game and change the way you play based on that. People, for some reason, don't do that, and getting people into the habit of doing that in a concerted and organized way is very big. People don't do that at WTC level. Like, I'm not, like that's not something that people aren't just doing because, the, like, the aren't coaching clients. Like, the best players in the world sometimes get over get overreader and don't look at the score sheet. Um, it's very easy done because... It's a game we're playing. You get high emotions. You just keep going, right? And be able to take a step back is important there. It's something that I'm still working on myself, to be honest. It's very easy to preach these things and then not do it. Um, and then, yeah, um, having a plan B, having a plan C, deciding if you needed to do plan A in the first place. The third thing that people, I would say, generally struggle with is, like, pigeonholing themselves. So they get in their head that they have to do one thing, right? Like, they are an Eldar player, so they have to play Eldar. Um, or they are, you know, they're, they've been playing this list for ages, they don't really know what they're doing off it. And then just getting people to recognize that if they're not having fun with it, they should just change something. And sure, if you don't have another army, fine, but play a different sub-factor, play a different style, right? Work with what you've got. Um, just getting people to work around their limitations a bit more or to remove self-imposed limitations that don't need to exist or that don't exist for good reason. Like, yeah, if you come to me and you're like, I'm playing Death Guard and I want to play Death Guard, that's great. But if you're going to be like, I'm a Death Guard player and I hate playing Death Guard, how do I make this faction fun? it's harder to find an answer there right um so there's there's a little bit of that um that's probably like the third big thing is people artificially restricting themselves um and getting people to just overcome that and enjoy the game right um that's a big, big thing with 10th edition coming around the corner is that a lot of people are like winding down their playing because you know like, well 10th edition is coming why would i bother playing 9th uh, and it's been big for trying to give people like the game isn't less fun now because there's more fun coming later. You were enjoying ninth the week before tenth edition was announced. There's no reason that should change. Um, so getting people to lift those self push restrictions and be like, hey, you can use the part of the time between ninth and tenth to get better at tenth um, has been another thing that has been interesting working with people on and getting people to in interact with that and like engage with that actively has been really rewarding. People have been like, yeah, I was I actually wasn't looking forward to the last next couple of night, but now I am because there's all these different ways I can interact with it. Like trying to find different play styles that you enjoy so that you when you come into tenth edition you have new options, right? All that kind of thing. Um so those are like the big ones for me. Okay. So uh you said something a couple of minutes ago that uh, I think we could use as a segue to the next question because you said that there are still elements that you are struggling with and that you are learning or understanding so the next question is uh what have you learned from the experience you said that you started coaching in back in 
January. So, you know, it's only the end of April. So um, maybe that a quarter is not enough to, to draw those conclusions. But has there been any, I don't know, eureka moment for you throughout that time while you've been coaching or anything so, else that you, you know, acquired, learned? I don't think there's been like a specific eureka moment. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty good at 40k. Um, I'm kind of at the point where most of what I do now is meant to maintain my skill level, not to get better at it. But there are always aspects that you could improve. Like there are things that I could do to like round up the percentage points, right? Like, you know, going from being 99% likely to win to win a game to 100% likely to win a game. It doesn't change a lot of like, your games, but it will win you a game every, every now and then, right? Um, so it's been a lot of just making sure I'm practicing what I preach a little bit. So actively re like going through my games and being like, hey, why did I lose this game? What could I have done differently? Uh, I, I used to beat myself up for losses a lot and be really like really negative to them. Um, now they're I'm getting a lot better at using them as actual learning experiences. There are some there are still some a lot some the problem I have now, a lot of the games that you lose when you're at like at the level I'm playing at now can feel like they're out of your control because you know you rocked up and I play so many games that dice variance just happens now. Like you just once you've played enough games against Baharov, sometimes he passes all his saves and doesn't die, right? Uh, and that can cause you to lose games. Um, I had a really, I'm going to slightly tangent on this one because it feeds into the, the. I had a really interesting conversation with Mike Porter at LVO where I was saying that once you hit a certain level of gameplay, like it's like that bell. I don't know if you've ever seen the bell curve meme where there's like an idiot at the bottom who's like, oh, you just blame dice for your losses, and then like the 98% of people in the middle who are not allowed to blame dice. And then once you get back to that top set of players again, you can start blaming dice again because sometimes you can do everything right and the dice just say no. And Mike was like, I don't believe you. I don't think that's true. And then the the, the next game, he won a game because his opponent failed like four four ups and three seven inch rollable charges. Came up to me after the game and was like, You're absolutely right. There was nothing I deserved did to deserve that win, and I got it anyway. Um, but those games are still rare, right? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm at the point now where like if Manny Chima or me or John Lennon or you know, um, typhus or somebody comes up to you and is like hey i lost the game because i got diced i just believe you again once you hit a certain level um because you know i'm happy to believe that those people played the game well enough that there was so it's a lot of it is trying to separate those out from the ones where i genuinely lost because i made mistakes um, and i'm getting better at that and i'm getting better at being like hey i actually lost this game because i should have played it differently not just because this was a bad matchup on bad terrain um and that's been that's been really helpful i've really enjoyed that process of taking more out of my losses because I'm encouraging my clients to take more out of their losses. So I'm practicing what I should preach a little bit there. Mm -hmm. The other side of things is it's helped a lot with matchup knowledge um, in the very general sense that like, it's really easy that I don't play Eldar, right? It's not, not enough actually, but I do coach a bunch of Eldar players and hearing the things that they actually struggle with because I just like, I look at the Eldar as a black box of like break all the rules, do whatever you want. And then other players are like, this is what's causing me to lose games. And these are what I'm struggling with. And that's been really helpful for ways to attack the army. Um, so I don't know, using the other players inside information against them has been the other really nice thing, but not just Eldar, right? Um, Custodes players and Marine players and cult players and all these things has given me a lot of insight into, you know, how the other half lives. Um, the things Harlequin players struggle with is hilarious because I can't imagine them struggling with anything. Then you hear that they just like have these issues and you know they're consistent across a bunch of players, so they're probably they're probably fairly accurate. Um that's been really helpful as well, and I've enjoyed that. Um 
it pushes me out of my comfort zone a lot as well. Like I have to, I maintain a lot of knowledge on a lot of armies because of WTC. Um, but this has helped with that a lot because it's just more pushing on that knowledge of being like, hey, I really do need to know how your army works so I can talk with it about you at a heart, talk about it with you at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good for that, just like continually maintaining my knowledge. And that's, I think, the biggest advantage you get from being a coach, right? Um, there's a reason that some of the best players in the world are coaches, whether it's myself, Manny, um, Lennon, Siegler, Harpster, uh, Anthony Vanella, like they're all coaches. And it, being a coach helps you stay at that level and it helps you stay there longer. Um, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The best players get to be coaches and the best player and being a coach helps you be a better player. Um, so, you know, it, it's a bit self-fulfilling, right? It feeds back on itself. Um, being good at a coach makes you better at the game. Being good at the game lets you be a coach. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, yeah, that's that's a great remark. So uh, at some point in the interview, I said that uh, probably your personal performance at tournaments is, is the best advertisement for your services as well. Do you think that it could work the other way around as well? Like if you go to a tournament, you know, like the super major, and then you get eliminated round one because you just got an unfavorable matchup or something like that, that, you know, in people's eyes or potential clients' eyes, this could be, this could work the other way around then encourage people to come to you yeah maybe um it's tightrope right like i would like to think that i'm better than any one event right like i had a really rough lgt uh, and nobody seemed to hold it against me too much besides anthony um so sure it, it could backfire um if i end up being really crap at 10th edition i expect my coaching to fall off um but i don't think that's a reasonable expectation um no i don't think i don't think it would be there are a lot of coaches who are not the best player in the world um there are plenty of coaches who are just good consistent players and for all else sure i might have a bad tournament now and then i'm a pretty consistent player i'm pretty happy with where i am as a player right now um so sure if i had a really bad run then i could maybe see it but touch wood that's not happened uh, and it's not going to happen um and if it did then I don't know. I just write, I just change my name to Washed Up Coaching and then see how people will still follow, right? That's got to be that. Can't be that bad, right? Yeah. And do you think that um, again, uh, being a coach and a high-level player at the same time uh, pushes you, for example, into you know only playing top armies to have results that will confirm your status as a coach, or is that not interrelated? I don't know is the honest answer to that. So I have only been playing the top armies for a while now, but that's partly a function of, I'm not going to lie, at the end of the day, what I'm doing, as far as what I'm playing army-wise, mostly relates to Team Scotland, not neither to coaching nor my singles performance, um, because 90% of my tournament play is in efforts of practicing for WTC. So I've been fortunate in that I've been on Space Marines for, w- for Team Scotland for a while, and then before that I was on Tyranids, when Tyranids were at the height of their power. Um, but I also played some cults in there because I like playing cults and I had some time. Um, so I've been fairly fortunate, like three of the armies that I like, those three and um, demons are like the armies that I play the most. And demons are also really strong right now. So I am like in a fairly privileged position mm-hmm. in terms of like the armies I play right now. Which Lucky is you. Great. Um, but if I was on uh, like a different army for Team Scotland and they weren't the tier one meta army, I would still play them and I would just be aiming to do as well as I could. Um and if, like, I went through a stretch where Terrans weren't amazing back in, like, 2018, and I played Terrans every tournament, and I went fairly consistently 4-1 on with them, and I was happy with that because within the role that I was taking, that was what I was looking for. Now, 
outside of that, I do have the advantage of like if I go to a super major, then I can play whatever I want, right? Like the, those are the, the events that we kind of like as Deep Scotland exempt from you having to play your army. So if I really wanted to, and I was like on, on um, like Imperial Knights right now, I could like for Warhammer Fest play something else and still try and prove that I'm up there with the best. But I would like to hope that people would reckon that, you know, you just because your name's not in the top set of players for every month, um, I think I'm good enough that I could win on most of the best armies right now. And maybe in the meta where Dark Angels were broken, that wasn't the case. But in any reasonable meta, I'm not too worried about it. Okay. Um, and now, you know, with a view to the future, uh, as we know, 10th edition is coming. Uh, you said that you don't have like a syllabus, uh, you don't have like a, you know, a list of courses that you're going to have that your offer is tailor-made. Does that position you better for 10th edition where you don't need to update your offering and you can just, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically learn the rules of 10th and go ahead, jump back into coaching again? Uh, or do you feel that there is a certain uh, amount of, you know, pressure coming? So I'm going to do a lot edition. of, I'm going to do a lot of prep work for 10th edition just because I'll be playing it for WTC. I obviously will be covering it for stat check and I want to do well on my own singles performance and team's performance. So I'll have as quickly as possible as much knowledge of 10th edition as I can. And I'm pretty confident it'll be okay to transition straight over to doing 10th edition stuff because a lot of what I, a lot of the stuff you do as a coach isn't super, isn't super edition like dependent, right? Like sure, some of it is like, like when you're talking about a tournament and you're talking about, um, like you know, prep preparation style coaching. There's there's a lot of addition, but that's all super meta dependent. And the jump from ninth to tenth is no bigger than the jump from like one one balance data slate to another in terms of meta relevance, right? Like I'm going to have to learn new meta. I was going to have to learn new meta anyway. Sure, it's more of learning a meta, but that's fine, right? Like people come to me for meta for up to date meta knowledge, and it will be as up to date as it can be for tenth edition as quickly as possible. On the the other side of things, though, the like the retrospective stuff, it's really not that dependent on the current edition of the game um, because a lot of it is about the way you interact with 40k and the skill set that you have and that doesn't like that's not changed since third edition right the, the things that you have to do to be good at 40k at the end of the day it's a game about risk management and making and accepting risks sure we're probably not going to be talking about secondaries the same way um, and we'll talk about how you decide whether you're the active or the passive player differently but the core concepts of active versus passive play of taking risks of not taking risks of having backup plans none of that changes that's all just a core skill set of being a good 40k player and i don't think that like there will be updates to that but it's not going to change so i'm fairly fairly happy that the way that i operate things right now will be tweaks not changes like i said earlier um then that issue will be different it's going to be hectic it's going to be manic i'm very much looking forward to it both from a like personal and professional standpoint i think it's been a great time for growth it's a great time for people who are looking to get into coaching for the first time as well who want that shortcut which i'm really looking forward to because i would love to make a bunch of money off of that um which is great um, i'm not going to hide that like absolutely that that's what it's all about at the end of the day but you need it money to buy very... the new tournaments right <laughs> anybody to go to wtc thank you um, but it's all at the end of the day it will it will come um the game will never change that much at the end at the end of the day we're rolling dice which means it's a risk management game and i can talk about risk management all day Okay. All right. Ines, I'm out of questions. So, I mean, I would like to say it's time for you to talk now, but you've been talking more than I have. Uh, <laughs> still, um, obviously, I would like you to 
explain yourself uh, you know, where people can find you, where people can find your services, where people can find StatCheck. So fire away. Sure. So if you have not heard enough of me over the past hour and you'd like to pay for a dedicated hour of me talking to you, um, you can check me out at coaching uh, at stat-check.com uh, on Gmail. Just send me an email there or you can check out the website at stat-check.com slash coaching. Um, you can get access to me unfiltered in whatever capacity you're looking for for $45 an hour and a little bit more if you're looking for TTS. Um, I would love to have you if you're interested in improving your game in any way and anything I've said about earlier today resonates with you. That's the place to do it. Otherwise, if you're just looking to hear more of me in general, you can also check out our YouTube live show, which is uh, youtube.com slash c slash statcheck every Tuesday at 11 GMT or various other times everywhere across the world. Uh, we talk about 40k for about an hour and a half every week. There's a bunch of extra stuff on there. Um, bonus content. I have a bunch of other co-hosts who do a bunch of awesome, really cool stuff. Uh, there's meta dashboards and rankings and all that kind of thing on our website. There's some articles up there as well. Um, we'd love for you to check it out. Otherwise, I think the past hour and a half, hour and 10 minutes has been the best advertisement I can do, so I'm not going to plug it anymore. If you're interested in coaching from me uh, and you listen to the past bit and you're not sick of my voice yet, you'll probably be okay with it. Um, so I would love you to reach out. It would be really awesome to hear from you. Great. And fingers crossed that people actually do that. Uh, I guess I'll have to plug my own podcast as well. Guys, uh, please remember to uh, subscribe, to like, to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, uh, any other podcasting media that are out there, we should be available pretty much everywhere. I listen um, on Spotify. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, do check our blog because Contact Loss uh, has a blog now that I try to contribute to fairly regularly. Um, so interesting articles are inbound. Uh, bookmark this one uh, because more interesting content is coming. Uh, Ines, thank you for your honesty and for your openness. I mean, this gave me and hopefully our listeners great insight into what coaching is in general, because I guess for a lot of people, this is still sort of like, uh, you know, uh, unknown. Oh, area. Dude, dude, it's super weird. I have no idea what my life is anymore. <laughs> I am so confused at all times. Um, it's fantastic. I love it, but it's, it's really weird. I'm not going to lie. Um, I wake up in the morning at like 10 o'clock, do three coaching sessions and then like paint for the rest of the day. And it's like, that was a day's work. This is great. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a very, it's completely surreal. I could not, if you told me three years ago that this was a thing that existed, or I suppose five years ago, this was a thing that existed, um, I wouldn't have believed you. And if you told me that I was doing it, I would have, I would have been completely, not a chance. Um, it's amazing. And I can only thank the people who enabled it to happen, which includes all the guys at Static, obviously. Um, yeah, but thank you so yeah. much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, hopefully demystified a little bit. If the, uh, I'm also going to say for anybody, this might not be what coaching is like for everybody else. This is what coaching is like for me uh, because there's a bunch of other people who do coaching in streaming houses and in like while running a store. There's kind of things like Manny and are the artwork guys and Stephen Box are all going to have completely different experiences to this, which means that there's still a lot that Tommy can ask a bunch of other people, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, do check Innes and his services out. Uh, like, subscribe, follow us, follow them. Uh, Go read the so Contact Loss blog. Sorry? Go and read the Contact Loss blog. Yeah, you absolutely. Said that earlier. Can't forget you, that one. You, you should read that one as well. Uh, definitely. All right. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you for your attention. Um, stick with us for future episodes and for more content on the blog as well. Uh, Innes, I thank you. And everyone, until next time. Bye-bye.